Welcome to Cheer Up, Buddy, the podcast about sad men in movies. My name's Tom. I'm Riddy. And this week we're talking about The World's End, the 2013 Edgar Wright film starring Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Patty Considine, Martin Freeman, Roseman Pike, and Eddie Marson. Now, we chose this week's movie because the sad man is Gary King, played by Simon Pegg, a, how would you say, I would say kind of a man-child, a guy who never really grows up beyond high school and sort of caught in a perpetual teenage adolescent. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. Yeah. I called him a child in the notes that I put together. And um, he mentions it never did feel that good again. Um, you know, he peaked in high school, I guess, is is uh, what how I would characterize it. Oh, for sure. All right. My, my quick summary for the film is five childhood friends reunite to complete a bar crawl only to discover the residents of their hometown have been replaced by robots. And I don't know about you, but that whole robot alien thing, I, that was a big confusing point for me because they kept kind of saying they're not robots, but they're not technically aliens. Like what, what did you think those things were? I thought they were uh, like replicants, like using their DNA, but um, not robots in like the robotic sense of the word. Um, so uh, I thought they were like, uh, I don't know what the, the phrase is. I don't know if replicants is even right, because um, I don't know if. Blade Runner replicants, which um, speaking of movies that should be or are on the list, Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. It was. Yeah, that uh, the original it, Blade Runner is one of my all-time favorites. So that's one that that one, we're going to have to have a special occasion for that one whenever we do that. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, 49 is like, if I got the year right, that was where I was confused. It's like, for the 2049 because it feels awful close. We don't see many closer to, um, you know, Tokyo la but um we're getting close to the the uh, environmental apocalypse in this oh, yeah, well, world that's that marches on daily for sure <laughs> all right well what did you think about the world's end well i was gonna say that uh not only is gary king sad um in terms of like you know being nostalgic for his um you know his peak at in high school or right after high school but i also thought it was like sad and pathetic as well like all of these well gary himself is like based his whole personality around who he was in high school but all the other guys are sort of pathetic as well like they have these unfulfilling you know semi-successful but unfulfilling jobs um they have like they're divorced or they're um having issues with their partners or you know whatever the situation is so they're all sort of like sad in that way too so the entire cast um of main main dudes uh except for sam who is uh rosamund pike seem to have these issues so I was going to throw that in there as well. Oh, that's a really good point. I mean, I I think I glossed over the fact because so much of the other characters' situations are sort of glossed over in a way. Like you kind of would get some exposition about their lives kind of dispersed throughout, but I feel like it was such a small element of the story. It was kind of like used just to kind of break up the action tempo. So I almost forgot. <laughs> After watching it last night, I'd already forgotten that the other guys were kind of sad sacks as well, which... Maybe kind of well, goes to the, yeah. Go ahead. Kind of goes to my feeling towards the movie. I just uh, not to get too far ahead of myself, but I saw this in theaters when it came out, and I remember not enjoying it too much. And then watching it last night, I was like, "Oh, this isn't too bad." Maybe now that I'm older, I can identify with it more. Then the final act was like, "Oh yeah, that's why I don't like this movie." But we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> I uh, what do you mean, being older? I thought we were in our early twenties. No, and that was exactly what I was going to say, is that I had seen this movie before, had completely forgotten almost every detail about it. Same. Um, 
Yeah. And, you know, it was almost like watching a brand new movie. Um, and, uh, you know, having started it like, like the first, like maybe two thirds of it. And then that last act, like, was just like, yeah, this is fine, I guess. Um, and so, you know, even comparing it to um, the other sort of movies that Edgar Wright has done that are in this, like, loose trilogy. Oh, yes. Um, I should, I forgot to mention that this was the conclusion to the Cornetto trilogy. But I feel like every, if anyone's listening to this, they're probably going to know that fact by now. Yeah, I mean, probably you know it, but just for, you know, just as an informational sidebar, I guess, like, um, this makes a loose trilogy with uh, Hot Fuzz and uh, Shaun of the Dead. And mm-hmm. I... I'd seen those movies a couple of times, but I remembered liking them much better and remembering them. And so, um, you know, I thought this one started pretty promisingly um, and it sort of fell apart the last like, act. But yeah, well it, well, it starts with Simon Pegg's character, Gary King, in a in a was it was a therapy group or rehab group. I was wasn't quite sure. Even looking back like on the it, I feel like a good English movie. equivalent of AA. Yeah. So, it, you know, he's had some sort of substance abuse issues ever since growing up. And as we go along, we find out that uh, he almost was indirectly the, re- the reason his best friend almost died in a car accident because he overdosed. And the Nick, Nick Frost character uh, hurriedly drove him to a hospital only to crash in route and almost die. So that explained the kind of fall in their friendship. And then just going on, you realize that these five childhood friends had grown apart. And I feel like I could identify with that. I was thinking about that. Uh, I really don't keep in touch with any of my high school friends. What about you? No, absolutely not. Yeah, no, I, with good reason. I mean, it's uh, definitely went different ways, but I, I feel like my friend group may have been uh, a handful of Gary Kings in hindsight. So it was one of those things. It's like, yeah, it's okay to move on from certain people from your past. You don't have to stay friends with everyone forever. Which I think is kind of the opposite. Well, is it the opposite of what this movie would ended up sort of being its, you know, its, its core message? Um, maybe, maybe not. It's hard to, I, I, I did think, um, and we can get to it later, but like the ending sort of wanted to have its cake and eat it too. You know, we keep um, going to it. So maybe we should just get to it. Like what, what do you think was the ultimate message for this movie? Cause I'm not sure I could figure one out. Um, yeah. I didn't feel like it really strongly had a message. I do think like part of it was like, you can't keep looking to the past um, and you have to sort of move forward. And that seemed to be like the, um, these like central sort of message through most of the movie. But then the ending, um, Gary gets to live in a world where his, you know, essentially his high school skills um, translate into being successful or being like a badass. Um, He has grown. He's not drinking anymore. Um, He's shaved. Like he looks like more of an adult, but his, his posse is are the clones or the replicants or the whatever you want to call them of his friends that are you know high school aged mm-hmm. um and so it seems like and I'm, i'd be really interested in finding out if like um you know the studio ha- like made him change the ending or he had the ending and the studio made him change the build up to that because it seems like two very dissonant sort of messages coming through between like the ending and then like most of the rest of the yeah, for sure. My The end of my notes, the last thing that I wrote is happiness for Gary only happens in a post-apocalyptic world. I don't quite understand what he's doing with the blanks of his high school friends that makes him happy and sober. Like I didn't like I didn't quite understand what he was doing. He was just wandering this post-apocalyptic world with the, like you said, the, the younger versions of his friends. But I don't understand why that's like what sobered him up and made him 
have meaning in his life all of a sudden. It's just kind of, mm-hmm. I didn't know what, it was so ambiguous. Like you're, you're exactly right about so much of the film is like, you can't keep looking back and relying on your past life to bring satisfaction to your current life. But that ending, man, I just, yeah, it just did not hit for me at all. It was just so ambiguous. Yeah. I mean, it just, I don't feel like it, it, um, it fit like the rest of the movie. And so I'm, I'm curious if there's like a last minute switch or, you know, if there's like a hidden director's cut somewhere, um, you know, that, that had a different ending or, or what the situation was with that. I don't know. I mean, it's, I, hmm. I would say there may not have been another ending or too much studio involvement because this was, you know, by this point, Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, they were just churning out hits. They kind of, I feel like, may have just had carte blanche, but it just didn't seem like they quite knew. Like, I I, I don't know about you, but one of the things I looked up while watching it was Edgar Wright's politics because so much of the movie I felt like could have been like a QAnon conspiracy where it's like there's this outside force that's trying to make us all think alike and trying to be uniform and clean and star what, what how did they describe it like starbucks size every mm-hmm. hub in the, in the town yeah, sure. and it's kind of like well yeah i mean that's that's obviously nobody wants well, i would hope not everybody wants starbucks to be the prevailing cultural influence as far as restaurants and coffee shops very and all 2013 that. concern as well but it, it, very much so which would make sense in the, yeah. the time frame but so much of it did seem like uh like a don't tread on me mentality. It's like, oh, these aliens think they can make us better. Well, I want to be a drunk asshole. It's kind of like, well, what is this trying to say? And I did find an interview from 2013. I should have saved a link. But it was a Canadian reporter who asked Edgar Wright straight up, like, what is the political message of this? And he's like, ah, there really isn't one. We kind of wanted it to kind of speak to both sides of the political spectrum. I don't know if that necessarily worked. Not saying that I wanted it to go one way or the other, but it just wasn't uh... seemed very looking back 10 years later it seems very uh schizophrenic uh just in terms of like if you're trying to appeal to both sides at this point it it seems like well some degree you have to pick one one side or another yeah things definitely weren't as shitty as they are now well it's interesting you bring up the themes cuz like um i also like felt like the movie uh like re uh or like brought back themes that Came up in the other two movies, uh, Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead, where everyday life is sort of a facade for, um, you know, normal people being like hidden aliens or uh, zombies or uh, part of a cult. And um, this idea that like normal, like especially small town life or uh, everyday life is like this, uh, hides like this, like violent sort of um, underbelly, I thought was um, something that does tie these three movies together oh sure i mean going off that i think all three movies i think at their core if there's a common theme is male friendship Mm -hmm. the first one it's simon Pegg and nick frost and how one friend is sort of holding the other one back hot fuzz one one individual being a loner and then realizing he can't do anything alone that he does need friends and then this one being i don't know if the the friendship message is as clear it's kind of like you can have friends but you know, sometimes it's bad to stay friends with people, something, but they also do reconcile. Like it's, I don't know. I think it's just a microcosm of the film. It's just everything's just a little, everything's muddier than the previous two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it almost seemed like an Adam Sandler, like a, a late season Adam Sandler movie where it's like, I'm going to make this movie so I can get all my friends together and we get like a decent paycheck and we can hang out and do stuff. Um, 
much better than an Adam Sandler movie, I will say, but um, it but, does. In, but to Sandler's credit, at least he gets his friends to an interesting location. They typically go to like Hawaii or Italy or they're kind of, they film <laughs> in a nice, nice vacation location where here, this is just small rural England. I can't imagine. Well, I forget. Did you study abroad in the UK? Well, yeah, this was one of my questions. I feel like both of us studied abroad in the UK. I did uh, during law school for like a long semester and then uh how about you i i can't quite remember i i did a summer abroad in in england between our sophomore and junior years of college mm-hmm. yeah so i i got a taste of this life i actually one of my notes is i the one pub that they went to the mermaid i wrote to myself i think i went to the mermaid when i studied abroad in the uk that was the one where everyone was dressed up like schoolgirls or in you know school uniforms yeah and i unfortunately did not go on uh school uniform night because that really would have done it for me in my early 20s but uh I definitely went to a, a, a British club with that vibe got walked in and was like this sucks and I think I reluctantly stood like, like a wallflower for about an hour until I walked home alone it was not my scene although I was going to ask you about pub pub culture because I uh I'm not a huge drinker but I would go out to pubs um and like student like parties um during my semester um i had a few like anecdotes um i uh one time went to one of our like regular pubs in like sweater and a tie um and got questioned if and this was my late 20s uh, i got questioned if i was a student uh because i guess because i was wearing the tie it was like a stripes where it looked like a school tie i guess mm-hmm. um so they asked me if i was a student and if i could actually be in the pub um Another pub had me like take off a baseball cap because I was wearing. Well, that's too American. They wouldn't allow that. I get, yeah, I guess that was a problem. Get that yank out of here. That's how <laughs> Hello, Australia. Um, and uh, I used to. Uh, I didn't drink, as I said, but like, um, would steal those Guinness pine glasses. Um, mm. basically every time I went. Um, so I had like a pretty good collection of them and like gave them out to people when I came back and um kept a few for myself dropped a few i think there might be one left in my uh kitchen cupboard but um really um maybe the most uh theft i've ever done in my life was stealing those guinness pint glasses well totally random aside i went to the guinness museum years ago when i went to dublin and those guinness designs historically have been great like they've always had a fantastic ad department design department so if the off chance someone from guinness here doesn't want to sponsor us uh, we're more than happy to Um, oh yeah i feel like there's a lot of things we could (laughs) hey we're talking about it bring us a little bit of cash yeah come on guinness give us the money um (laughs) no i it's funny you mentioned that I, i i wasn't sure whether to bring that up or not because you know, since this is ostensibly a podcast about male sadness, uh, my summer abroad in England was probably the one of the loneliest times of my life. And a lot of it was because uh, drinking related. I, I, I don't use the term because I think it's silly, but I guess just for simple explanation, I guess I was straight edge growing up. I just never, it wasn't like a uh, it just, I never had any interest in drinking or drugs. I was always around it. Like my like my middle school best friends started smoking weed in like sixth grade. Um, I mean, South Florida. Yeah. I mean, it's a hellhole. It, it's not <laughs> surprising that it is what it is. So yeah. So like everything was always there is always readily available. And it wasn't like a moral stance necessarily. It's just like a lack of interest. Like no one in my family drinks, no one was in like, smoked or done any illegal substance to my knowledge. And so like when I got to England, 
Uh, I think I had my first drink while there. I had my first drink, going back to the Guinness sponsorship request, it was a Guinness. But so much of the program, the other students were kind of like in a, were frat guys. And it wasn't even bro-y frat guys. It was like nerdy, really kind of obnoxious kind of federal republic, <laughs> federal republican type, uh, or federalist, sorry, like federalist society Ugh. kids. And so I did not really get along with most of the people in the program. So I did a lot of stuff alone. Like I, I was in Oxford and I would take the bus into London every like once a week or twice a week. Um, coincidentally, the bus was right outside my dorm room window. So I heard that about 20 times a day. <laughs> but um, it, it was it was a good trip. But at the same time, I had to learn to be more reliant on myself as far as doing things. Like I think that was the first time I ever went to a movie alone while I was there. First time I traveled around kind of alone. It was it was really kind of a formative experience. And I don't know if I ever went to my university's on-campus pub. I don't remember. I feel like I must have, but I have no recollection of it. So it sort of was a wasted opportunity on my part because I had not gotten to the point where I had any interest in drinking yet. And it kind of a bittersweet experience for me. Oh, I want to uh, want to sing Cats in the Cradle or something right now. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. It was, uh, did you go to the uh, Eagle and Child? Because uh, I also was at Oxford. I went during graduate school. I think you went during undergrad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And No, I don't think I ever did. I knew it was there, but I think part of it, like, I think part of it was I felt so much better if I was alone to be outside of Oxford and just go yeah. to London. And so I don't know. I, I, it was a lot of wasted opportunity on my part. Like, I, ne- I don't think I ever went punting. Um, I resorted to eating Pizza Hut at one point just because I was so desperate for a pepperoni pizza. It's like it was, I did a lot of poor choices while I was there. Um, I ended up a little bit better. I went through my uh, Southern University as well for grad school, and there were a lot of Federalist Republican types. Uh, but I did find uh, a group of people that was pretty cool. And um, we went to Dublin together. Um, so that worked out pretty nicely. Um, I had some undergrad friends that were living in London. So, you know, didn't go every week, but went like two or three times during the semester and hung out with them for so that worked out pretty well. Um, but yeah, like it was different. Like I had lived in Japan before that and um, Japan, I got England was a little bit more difficult um, sort of culturally. Um, it didn't make a lot of like, um, you know, sort of uh, local friends there. Whereas like in Japan, I, I did. So that was, it was a different sort of experience uh, for sure. And I, I probably could have like made more of an effort to like uh, meet people there meet like English people or people that were sort of there. I didn't until the end. And I really regretted it, regretted it because I met some very cool people um, sort of at my like Oxford University and, and sort of um, the adjacent ones. So uh, yeah, wasted opportunity. Um, I mean, I'll be honest. I went just how delusional I was going. I was must have been 20. I think. Yes, I was 20. I turned 21. So I went in the summer 2003. So I was still 20 docks my age but I was hoping I would find a woman that would eventually become my British wife like I I was still sort of an Anglophile at the time and my thought was oh well Hello, my, no, my name is Tom my name is wait <laughs> her name oh, is Tom Doolittle it is yes <laughs> hello, I, my, hello. my goal is to find my own personal Liza Doolittle to uh meet fall in love with and get joint res- residency between the U.S. and the U.K. uh but what time of year did you go because I was there during the summer 
in Oxford in the summer is nothing but American college kids. Like the the townsfolk work in the shops and everything are locals, but yeah. there was really people my age. There were I don't think there were any UK kids at, around at the time. I I did a, a school semester, so it was like January to like uh, April or May. So like right before summer summer started. So we actually I didn't have any classes with English students. I don't think but um i did have a tutorial and stuff but i didn't i got to like see english students and like we went to some of the parties and like um there were a lot of like foreign students but um it wasn't all like i don't think i met that many american kids outside of like the house that my university owned and there were some undergrads one of the random memories i have is because one of the professors who was there was probably my favorite professor in undergrad so i hung out with him and his wife some and like some of the other students and one of the local bars or pubs did have a trivia night. So a group of us went. And I think they knew that there was a lot of Americans there because they had a question about draw a, um, oh my God, uh, draw a cricket field. And none of us knew what to do. And I think they did that intentionally because it's like, oh, we're going to fuck these Americans up. They're not going to win this trivia. But the thing I remember most about that night was there was a team name that was David Justice, David Justice, everybody, David Justice which uh, if people don't know, David Justice was an outfielder for the Atlanta Braves in the early to mid 90s. So it was definitely somebody from, I'm assuming the Atlanta area. And I think just was the typical, woo, American whenever they announced the name. So it was kind of one of those things where it's like, I think they, the locals had a very open disdain for all the kids who were there during the summertime, making their life just slightly more miserable. (laughs) Uh, I mean, if I did anything, it was as a, college and grad student make other people's lives pretty, pretty miserable. Um, I wanted to ask you about one other thing, um, pub food, um, your feelings, your thoughts, your, uh, any favorites? Oh, I'm a total sucker for, for fried food. So fish and chips, chicken tender chips. Like, uh, I, I'm more, especially after that trip, I became more willing to enjoy pub scenes. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where we went to college, there's a, a nearby town that's practically the same city, but there was a lot of pub culture there that I definitely got more into during our last two years of undergrad and then the last few years I lived there. So it's definitely something I, I enjoy. And ever since I've been uh, living, I've been living in Colorado for about the past 10 years now. But, you know, the, the kind of the modern equivalent or local equivalent of that here is brewery culture. And mm-hmm. I did get into that for a bit. And in that, I found a place where I go to trivia every week. And I befriended one of the owners and befriended some of the other uh, regulars who are, you know, became pretty good friends. You know, the place shut down uh, right at the start of COVID. It was, it was supposed to shut down anyways, just because they weren't doing too hot. But, um, you know, as far as, but it did miss the food aspect of it, which I think was such a vital part of pub culture for me is that if it's got, it's got to have decent fried food, it's got to have decent uh, chips, as they call them. Uh, and then, you know, but otherwise the beer is kind of uniform, uniform in option. It's always kind of Guinness or whatever the hell. Fo- I think they were drinking Fosters in this film, which was kind of like, wow. yeah. kind of weird that they're drinking the Australian beer. But what do I know? But um, yeah, I mean, are you a fan of pub food or is that something that kind of is too gross for you? Um, well, I, I have in my notes, mushy peas barf. Um, <laughs> I don't even dislike peas. Like I like peas, but like what a way to find or to make a food as 
unappealing as possible. Mushy peas is like the worst thing created by humanity. Oh, British um, food was all the jokes that people have made about it over the decades or centuries. It's all true. I yeah. don't, I think the only good food I had in the UK was in Scotland. And it was just, even then it was ethnic food. I think it was some Indian food and some uh, Chinese food, but otherwise like inherently British food, disgusting. Hey, and I can say this British people that are listening, all one of you, I'm South Asian. I can say whatever you want, whatever I want. Um, you guys <laughs> conquered much of the world in search of better food. And so, um, and yeah. Like a lot did of nothing my- with it. Yeah, well, in a lot of my, uh, I had a lot of good food in between Oxford and London, um, but a lot of it was like South Asian food. Um, I would say like, I love the burgers and sandwiches. There are two sandwiches, like it's been like 20 or 10 years since I was in England, like wasn't in England for this. And um, I still think about like, there are a couple of sandwiches. One was like brie, uh, maybe like mango chutney and like tandoori chicken. And I still think about that sandwich on like a weekly basis. <laughs> Um, it was at this little like mom and pop place that was near uh, my school, St. Anne's, uh, you know, walking there. So like I would pick it up for lunch every once in a while. But uh, and then the, you know, the thing that I miss most about uh, England and, and Europe generally is is kebab and chips, like mm-hmm. just like kebab on top of fries with like uh, a little bit of like lettuce and tomato and like ketchup and mayo. And I'm like two o'clock in the morning. There is no better food. Um <laughs> And I've tried to recreate it here, like had it in Spain and like we were like leaving Spain and like waiting for the bus at like 1130 in the morning. And we were like right next to um, a restaurant to, that did kebab and chip. I don't care that this is completely ill-timed. I'm going to like wolf down one more before we leave as we wait for the bus. So um, I do miss that. I do miss that, in, you know, English food in that sense. But I don't miss like the traditional kind of like mushy peas and Toad in the hole. Well, I this actually is making me think of one question I wanted to ask you. And you mentioned mm-hmm. was it the uh, was it the the uh, oh god the, what was the pub you mentioned earlier? Uh, the Eagle and Child. Yeah, that's what uh, what Tolkien's Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and yeah. yeah. All right, so I wanted to go through the names of the pubs that were in the movie. There was the First Post, the Old Familiar, mm-hmm. the Famous Cock, uh, which is no relation to me. Uh, <laughs> the the Cross Hands. The Good Companions, mm-hmm. The Trusty Servant, The Two-Headed Dog, The mm-hmm. Mermaid, which we referenced earlier, The Beehive, The King's Head, The Hole in the Wall, and ultimately the, the film's namesake, The World's End. So Ooh, one question I had for you, if you had to get a, own a pub, what would you name it? Oh, man, this is, I, should, I would have come prepared if I had thought about that. I thought about giving you a heads up. I was like, no, I'm just going to put it, put them on the spot. And see what happens. <laughs> well, so I'm in my home office. I'm surrounded by children's Star Wars toys. And so uh, my first thought is the drunk robot. Oh, I um, like that one. Yeah, because it's not it's it's not traditional, but it is like it's it's that format. Um, I think the other thing I would do is um, something that is like overtly South Asian. Because um, I, you know, I feel like there are good English people that like are like, I had, an, I had an English friend from studying abroad in Japan who would like apologize to me for like colonialism and stuff in like a half joking, half very serious kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I told him I'd stamp his hand if there was ever a race war is one of the good ones. <laughs> um, um, but like um, something like, you know, the uh, uh, not the white elephant, because that sounds like the game, mm-hmm. um, but like, you know, the blue elephant or something like that, or the blue tiger or something that 
overtly South Asian. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I do like the robot one um, just because like it, it does, it sounds like, you know, you walk in, it'd be like a nice cozy traditional pub, but it would be, um, you know, uh, what's that like techie sort of like uh, flashy pub style, like. I've totally forgotten the name. I don't drink people. Are you talking about like a cyberpunk aesthetic or what? I'm not sure. Maybe like a cyberpunk aesthetic, but also like the, like, um, it's like the cooking sort of like, you know, you do that gastronic. Gast- gast- oh, like, um, what the fuck is that called? Uh, yeah, where everything's on display, where like you can see the kitchen and everything like that. That too, but you also like combine the foods or the drinks and it does like, you know, it smokes up or it like combines into a solid or like... <sighs> I know what I you're know. talking about. I forget what the term is for that, though. Uh, we were we were like English majors, people, and uh, this well, we is what happens. To we you didn't in old go ages. to culinary school. What, what is That's true, but I. It's not that I'm trying to like say how to do it. I'm just trying to like recall the word. And I gastronomy. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Well, it was, it was, Richard Blaze used to do that a lot. I remember that. Yeah, I feel like there's some like famous chefs that do it, but yeah, um, yeah, like I feel like it'd be like you know we. we Tom and I recently went to Disney Disneyland, Disney World, I keep Disneyland. Disneyland, yeah. Uh, uh, and I feel like all the drinks there were like this in some respect, like um, would have like a light up thing in it or uh, would foam in your mouth or, you know, whatever. Well, there's a um, huge markup for the light up ice cubes. You got to charge for those. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like it would be something like that uh, would be the, the drunk robot. Um, well, seeing as how I was the idiot that, pretty much always drank some uh, ungodly colored beverage with every meal we ate. Uh, I definitely would be one to partake in that. So I would be all for it. Business plan. When the podcast fails, we can just uh, cheer up buddy could be the name of the the pub and uh, we could start that. Um, I have to turn the question back around on you. What what would I name my pub? Yeah. What's the name of your pub? I think I'd probably involve my dog's name. It'd probably be uh i'd have to incorporate the name beasley and then i just like mm-hmm. use a picture of her face but i think that's already that's been done a lot where people name pubs after their dogs mm-hmm. hmm. and i do kind of like the dark wood classic aesthetic like i feel like yeah. there's something very comfy and cozy about that like i feel like if you got into a, a pub that has that aesthetic and you get into a nice booth like you could just hang out there with your friends for hours and it'd just be like the most yeah. comfortable setting in the world yeah Hmm. I don't know, maybe uh, Beasley's butt rest then, like, you know, have, make sure every seat has a very comfy uh, cushion so you can, your butt won't hurt from sitting there too long. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'll go with, I'll go with Beasley's butt cushion. Yeah, uh, my dog's Bowie, and I wonder if, like, either naming it after Bowie or, like, some David Bowie song or a persona would be i think that would be a good one too actually i I like these i like all of these oh well this i feel like this could be the new version of what would your what would you name your band which that was in and of itself a recurring joke in the movie that did not exactly work but yeah i feel like there were a lot of uh jokes that were jokes in the in the the most strict sense of the word but uh not all that funny no but i mean it's it's all relative i mean Yes. The heights I mean, of other Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost films, like it was just, I think it would have been really tough to just kind of match the hilarity of Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead. So I feel it's kind of like a lose, losing proposition for him. Well, on the other hand, um, I don't know if anyone will ever hear this episode or uh, the the pre-recording test episode we did with Venom, but um, this was definitely better than Venom. So oh. uh, not that it's a high, high bar to, to ju- I think we would have had to go out of our way to find something worse than Venom. But, uh, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's some sneakers on the list, but uh, yeah, Venom was a, 
Was it a tough call? So it was at least. I, at least I don't know. I was leaning more towards pretentious Criterion stuff personally, but that's just my pretentious nature, I guess. I mean, I think we have a good. There's a good amount of pretentious Criterion movies on the list, but those are also a pretty good amount of stinkers on the list too. I think, thanks to me, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's that uh, that kind of uh, tension that has people tuning in day after day to this podcast. Oh, um, for sure. Speaking of uh, Marvel, um, it was weird seeing Martin Freeman uh, so recently. Um, as we record this, Secret Invasion had ended like a week ago or two weeks ago. And uh, again, not super great uh, as a TV show, but it was weird seeing Martin Freeman again. Um, and all things considered, 10 years later, like, can't see Martin Freeman getting off, uh, being the first one off in a movie um, at this point, uh, even though that's what happens in this film. He's the first one that uh, is outed as a... Uh, robot non-robot yeah, he's, he's the first one on the core five who gets replaced during the course of them and yeah i was trying to remember i couldn't i, I mean i obviously could have looked it up but i was too fucking lazy but i was trying to remember when this was in relation to sherlock so i feel like that was mm-hmm. kind of his big breakout thing like he i recognized him he was in so so many different films and tv shows especially bbc or uk type shows so i was trying to remember where he was in his career when this came out but i forgot to look that up hello governor it's me martin freeman eh it's dr watson it is <laughs> i'm tim from the office eh oh that's right i never watched that now if anybody is listening to it our first email is going to be a hate email telling me to watch the british version of the office um it's fine <laughs> <laughs> Ricky, your basis uh increasingly like, it's hard to he was fine in the in the office until like you realize how little of it is an act and then you're like oh god yeah i was just about to do a, a impersonation but i realized it's going to be a ripoff of one of my favorite podcasts uh, podcast the ride when they make fun of oh no it's a dope doughboys doughboys makes fun of ricky gervais any chance yet so <laughs> i'll abstain from imitating nick weiger right now um, I th- also thought it was an interesting dynamic because I think the other two movies, um, Hot Fuzz and uh, Shaun of the Dead, um, Nick Frost is the one, Andy is the one who is uh, the uh, you know kind of comedic one, and mm-hmm. Simon Pegg is the straight man to him. Uh, but this in this movie, it kind of you know it's the opposite, and I didn't think it worked as well. I thought, I mean, I think Nick Frost did a good job as the straight man in this movie uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, or he was a straight man for them. He did a good, he did a good job here. Um, but I, I, I felt like Simon Pegg was a little less, um, charming, I guess, as like the comedic sort of, um, you know, comedic side of the, the comedy duo, uh, in this one. Yeah, I, I did agree. I do agree that it was a nice change that they made Nick Frost the, the non fuck up of the two of them. Mm-hmm. I think it was good to kind of avoid keeping them in the same roles. But I think the Gary King character that Simon Pegg played, which is so far more insufferable than the previous movies because uh, the Nick Frost character in Shaun of the Dead, I can't remember the name, but I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was sort of a fuck up, but he, he was sort of endearing in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Hot Fuzz, the same deal, like he's kind of like this well-intentioned kind of, eh, Oaf is maybe too harsh, but like, you know, he's, he's not. Shrek. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> an ogre. Uh, but, but yeah, it, I think just the, the Gary King character, was just so insufferable and it was I don't know, it, it I mean, may be the office i have a note saying that he's a very like michael scott kind of character where he's delusional delusional about his own place in the world oh sure um, i mean it's yeah. it's difficult to have sympathy for him because realistically 
him wanting to do the golden mile, I feel like was sort of a, another suicide attempt. You find out what maybe like three fourths of the way through the film that he's, mm-hmm. he'd attempted appear. I'm assuming that's what all the bandages on his wrists were meant to imply that he attempted suicide. So it almost felt to me that him wanting to get his friends together to do the, what was it the golden mile that we're getting a pint at 12, 12 pubs. That to me felt like it was kind of another indirect suicide attempt but at the same time the character was so insufferable i i didn't really have much sympathy for him like it really should have been a more tragic character which is like oh my god this guy's literally trying to drink himself to death in front of his like possibly his only friends like Mm -hmm. i think it's a safe assumption to make that the character does not have any friends during his adult life and that's why he's trying to get back to these four other guys mm-hmm. but man like he's just such a shit heel i could not have cared less if he drank himself to death if that's ultimately how the film is it would have gotten into a real train spotting kind of space rather than uh you know hot fuzz and shot of the dead but yeah no and i feel like it was hard to emphasize those things like the sort of um negative aspects of his life the really negative aspects of his life um and still keep it a comedy so i get i guess to a point why they did it but um, yeah, like they really sort of glossed over sort of um, the real rough parts of his life in order, you know, are they spent more time on making him like both an asshole and like, you know, they show him having the same car, the same clothes, the same tape, uh, music tape um, that he had in high school. And it's like, you know, I had a note is like, is this subtle or not? Because it's compared to Venom, it is, you know, the uh, the Moby Dick or the um you know whatever you whatever you know highbrow literature you want to say but um in terms of you know a film on its own this was not a very subtle film to me no and i think that's maybe one of the issues with it is that the not that hot fuzz is a subtle film by any means but it's not intended to be but even then i feel like it's done a little more deftly but it actually raises one question i another question i had for you are there any clothes that you still wear that you wore in high school <laughs> um that is a good question i mean it's probably like house clothes i wear like but most of it's like tech companies i worked at or college so like those are the two but i don't think there's really oh i don't i mean yes i will accept the answer if it's actual clothes that you wore in high school but i meant uh-huh. like style is there like uh, oh. are any styles that you still wear you can, oh. both, both answers are acceptable okay um you know, I've really, and I've talked to you about this, I've been having like a, I guess, a midlife crisis. And so have been wearing a lot of um, nerd t-shirts written the last like two to three years. So like, oh, same here, Star Wars, Spider-Man, Marvel, like, mm-hmm. um, not that I, I think I would have like not worn those in high school, actually, like I would have been like, this is a, a, maybe, a, no, I, I feel like I had nerd a brief culture like, wasn't acceptable yet. Yeah, but I had a brief like, wrestling like thing in high school and so like I wore like wrestling t-shirts every once in a while um mm-hmm. and um I look back like that's something I would not admit to my therapist but admit like here on this <laughs> podcast um, who are you wearing were you a stone cold guy I mean I I only know the stuff vaguely I know it was going on but I never followed it I I'm amazed in South Florida you managed to avoid it but um I in the same way we that I wrestled wore... gators down there we didn't need <laughs> actual wrestling I, uh, in the same way that I'm a Marvel fan and not as much a DC fan, I was a WCW fan, uh, as opposed to, I guess, then WWF, um, and would wear like the, like, not like people, but like NWO, NWO logo and stuff. So like, um, that was the, oh my God, I've, 
I live in the South is my only excuse. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah like, I mean, that's what you wear to church on Sundays in the South. <laughs> of course. Yeah. You wear, of course. In the nineties, in the early two thousands, you wore a t-shirt with a glistening sweaty Goldberg. And that's how you, yeah. that's how you worship God. Yeah. And, you know, today, like that Goldberg t-shirt might have sparkles to represent that sweat. But in back in the day, it was just him screen printed on a black t-shirt and um, <laughs> it was two sizes too big for you. Um, no. Yeah. Like, okay. Um, you did I, that too. All your, like, I didn't wear baggy, like I wasn't wearing Jinkos or anything, but I, as you have been well aware of knowing me for the past 20 years, I am a tall, skinny man. So, uh, and at that point, my mom was still mostly buying my clothes. So everything was like usually <laughs> one or two sizes too big because she yeah. thought I was going to fill out. And I never did. And yeah. everything just fit me horribly. And I just, I, everything just, it, it emphasized my skinniness more than hiding it. And looking back on it, it's like, oh, this is why no woman wanted anything to do with me. It was just, I just did not know how to dress yet. I quote the office. That's uh, like, you don't have to make that sound. Kelly is like, like hugging a skeleton no (laughs) you're both fine i i wish for your tall uh you know thin white man body type uh all the time but yeah no i had no sense of sizing until like i started working at the gap in high school so um i didn't uh i didn't have a good sense of uh you know what size oh i i didn't figure it out really till a call i went to a used clothes store with one of our college friends and she introduced me to western cut shirts Okay. And it was just a revelation. It's like, oh my God, these are cut for skinny men. Like it, it fit the shoulders right, but then it was like tapered in with the body. So it wasn't like shoulders and then like a parachute effect everywhere else. It actually like showed, it, it fit appropriately and it was just an epiphany. So so that my notes are correct here. So you're a tall white man living in Colorado who... Um, wears Western cut shirts, is into breweries. Am I getting that correct? Uh, I'm not as much into breweries anymore, but in summation, yes, I am basic. I am as <laughs> basic and boring as they come. I make no uh, denial about that at all. That's, that is, that is not true. Um, and I also like, as I moved out to like, I guess, suburban Northern California, I've been wearing a lot of like flannel and a few western cut shirts as well so i, I in my defense i was wearing that for over a decade before moving out west <laughs> it's a good i like it because it's like i don't have to like really think about this i just pick up a, a collared shirt and like if i'm like doing stuff in town it's fine if i have to go somewhere or i need to be like slightly dressed up it has a call i get it i get it Oh, see, that's a thing out here in, in the Denver area. Dress up doesn't really exist when I was still going into work at offices. Yeah. Uh, wearing a tie is the equivalent of just being wearing like a mask, like or not even like a Halloween mask. People just looked at you like, what the fuck are you doing? It was yeah. like it's it's business casual is not even a thing out here. It's just casual or bust. My first tech company job out here I uh, in California, I uh, wore a tie and like people were like, don't do that. You look like a narc. And, so, um, <laughs> and they were correct. They were correct. Um, but now like post COVID, it's like, I'd be happy if I'm wearing pants, like zoom meeting. Oh, I hope to never go into an office again, but yeah, let's not get sidetracked on that. <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, like, I feel like I, I think both of us kind of grew up in like smaller Southern towns. And I wonder like, no, I, this- I will disagree with that. 
I I grew up uh, I grew up in the South Florida metro area, so it's, okay. uh, I was so it's, I wasn't in Miami, but I was I guess twenty five thirty miles from Miami, so it was. But it's all kind of South Florida is just a giant conglomerate. It's like it's a tri county area, so people break it up swamp. in the Miami Fort Lauderdale. Well, it is that yes, <laughs> people break it up in the Miami Fort Lauderdale West Palm, but I mean it's really kind of all one in the same for the most part. So I I will not cl- make claim to living anywhere in a rural environment okay i mean i uh well let me let me ask you this then we're learning stuff about each other as we as we move along um how did you feel about this something i thought was going to be like a major theme of this movie and ended up getting dropped almost as soon as it got brought up but um like they had this like nostalgia for going back home but it was this like boring hometown with nothing going on and um you know like this almost like kind of nothing happens in this city. Well, I will uh, like, agree. I will agree with that because I most of my upbringing was in Fort Lauderdale, and mm-hmm. as most people know, that's like a really big vacation spring break resort. So it was it, it was a weird upbringing in that. So I mean, it's different now because just the population growth of urban areas throughout the country. Like a lot more people live there now than they did when I was still there twenty years ago. But it was such a kind of transitory nature in that there's a lot of tourists and then a lot of people go down there to retire and you know the joke is like this is where people go to die or what god's waiting Mm -hmm. room i guess is the the kinder way of saying it so it was a weird perspective growing up where people for the most part either are on vacation and don't really give a shit or they're kind of near the end of their lives and they kind of don't have a a strong vested interest in it so it's kind of a weird dynamic as far as Mm -hmm. that goes it's like being a college town, but all the college kids are 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 on death's door. Is pretty. That's actually a pretty good way of describing it because no, that was always kind of a big issue I had is that I felt like there wasn't a ton of culture down there because there was no real desire for it because it's like well people aren't going to Fort Lauderdale to go to a museum they're going to go to the beach and get fucked up so it's kind of I thought people went for the um, the bikini museum is that not uh it's closed on mondays so oh. that was the only day i was ever able to go which <laughs> now i think there has to be a bikini museum somewhere in the world right uh, i'd I'm be gonna, shocked if there wasn't vamp for me i'm gonna look it up I, well you know uh what i'm hoping from the bikini museum is that it's somewhere like completely inland like uh boise I'm, idaho I'm, all right i'm about like, to press enter on google i'm gonna guess it's in hawaii if it exists not boise idaho like i was hoping what the fuck is this it gave me the Molly Brown Museum House, which is a museum in Denver about a survivor from the Titanic, which is like, what the hell does that have to do with anything? And this, then is not, this, this is not what I was hoping for. Unless I don't, I went there once. I don't remember there being any portraits of Molly Brown in a bikini while the Titanic is sinking around her, but maybe I needed to pay more attention. Maybe you need to, yeah, like read a little more history, Tom DeVray. And like, if anyone, <laughs> in the off chance anyone's listening to this and wants to do fan art, uh, please send us your rendition of Molly Brown in a bikini while the Titanic is. Um, and then the second hit is, their second search result is the Bikini Art Museum. Museum Bad Rappenau, which appears to be somewhere in Germany. Bikini Art Museum, interesting. Huh. All right. There. No. Yeah. There. I guess there's a bikini. The world's first bikini museum is opening tomorrow in Germany. That's from July fourth, twenty twenty. Knowing those Germans, I'm sure it's going to be just a barrel of laughs. Yes, because I know when I think of bikinis, the first place I think about is Germany. <laughs> um. 
That sounds about right. It's fascinating. Huh. Maybe, um, if we do show notes, I guess we can add the link to the show notes or, you know, maybe we should, you know, if we ever get listeners, maybe we should just do a Patreon where we can do side episodes about these random things. Oh, we absolutely should. We, you know, one of my favorite podcasts is the complete guide to everything and they do something similar. So I think um, we could, we could um, do, people can, can patronize us um, via Patreon and we can talk, we can talk shit about um all these delightful things that don't quite fit the the mold of the rest of the podcast not that we have a strong setup yet but we're we're feeling our way through and i think we're doing good we're yeah we're learning as we go along we're on the cutting edge of podcasts meaning by which i mean we're 20 years too late to the concept that we have decided on but uh we're doing it anyway Sorry, I totally sidetracked us. You were talking about growing up in a rural town. What was your perspective? Because you you were what, East Tennessee? Yeah, that's right. I grew up outside of Memphis and it was like, it was 30 minutes outside of Memphis, 40 minutes. I'd have to like look that's it right. up. So that's West, West Tennessee then? Oh, that's West Tennessee. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, East Tennessee at least has Nashville, which is a natural city that people go to for things. Um, and like, yeah, like I just, I get the sense of like, it was very nostalgic to think about going to your hometown and um, they're not being anything there, like, um, which for me, like, for the most part, in the rest of my life, I've either lived in bigger cities or adjacent to bigger cities. And so just going to a place where there's nothing to do and like, all you do as a child is like grow up, <laughs> like, um, not there are no concerts, there's no like, you know, Disney on ice, there's no whatever, there's no museums There's nothing like, um, so I got like, that feeling or I understood that feeling of like going, there's nothing here for me. Well, that um, actually leads yeah. into a question I had for you mm-hmm. is if you were to kind of recreate your, like a high school night, like these five characters were, mm-hmm. what would your high school friend reunion consist of? The first thing that came to mind. So like I ended up going to high school in two different places because we moved from um, West Tennessee to uh, suburban Atlanta in the middle of my like high school career. Um, but what came to me is like, I did, unsurprisingly i was a theater kid and did a lot of theater um in both high schools but um you know was working my way up the theater ladder at the first high school and um we did a play and i was like you i was um straight edge and didn't drink and you know didn't do drugs but um had friends who did or um had friends who were drug adjacent i guess and we'd Mm -hmm. like hang out after the plays um go to like IHOP or um uh Waffle, Waffle House. House. Yeah. Um how could I forget that, you know, central pillar of Southern culture. Mm-hmm. Um, um and do that. And like, you know, one night we went and like other people had been smoking in my friend's van and like uh there was like a real strong weed smell from the van. Um and like spend, you know, spend all night out or like 12 or one or two. Like I didn't stay like too late out. Um, but you know, I think I, more during college, like that, that was the time where I was like, I'll go out with people. I just like hang out all night. If that's, you know, what oh, we're sure. doing. yeah. Yeah. Cause we had, uh, what I think two waffle houses near our, our undergrad freshman, sophomore year. And then a IHOP, which that IHOP gave me terrible food poisoning one night. Their, their food standards are so strict. So I'm, I'm surprised, but. Oh, not, well, I never, talk. never got sick at waffle house, but IHOP one of the grossest that nights. seems counterintuitive uh well we we lived in different dorms uh yeah but well we lived together what junior year we briefly lived together yeah but for, i forget if it was freshman or sophomore year my dorm i got so sick from eating ihop and i couldn't stop vomiting 
so I went down to the private bathroom at the basement where the laundry was. And I just like slept in that private bathroom all night. So I could just like vomit as needed. It was one of the worst nights of my life because I had food poisoning. Uh, that sounds terrible. Sorry, that was that made with too much of a, an aside. <laughs> no, it, it just sounds awful. It was. We didn't was... get into the gory details, fortunately. Um, but um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, like I feel like we did. I did more stuff like that in college than in high school. But um, that would have been my. I don't think I would have stayed out all night. But um, and I think like I definitely did pub crawls, like maybe in undergrad and definitely in in when I studied abroad at um in England at Oxford and and um you know uh did the bars and stuff in Japan and like even though I wasn't drinking I just get like so I've always wondered about that I I haven't been to Japan but I've wondered I like I've heard about the drinking culture there and that's kind of like I was under the impression that it's you drink until you pass out was sort of the the that was kind of like the common perception that I had is that totally off base um it's not like completely off base and especially like when I lived in bigger cities and like it was always like fun, like in Tokyo or in like the major sort of like train stations, like Yokohama station when I was in Yokohama, like you'd find people sort of like asleep on the street, like having, being drunk, uh, having <laughs> done the night out and like not made it home. Um, and then like no one I drank with ever got that drunk, but like there were a lot of like company drinking things or like I worked for like city hall and like people would get like pretty drunk. Um Women generally didn't get that drunk and usually like made it home okay. And mm-hmm. um, like I said, like no one was like so bad that they like passed out um, where I had gone. Um, so there's a lot of drinking, but I think like, you know, drinking till you pass out is not like uncommon, but I really rarely sort of experienced it. Oh, but so I it's not, say, it's not yeah. the necessary expectation. Right. But then like, I'm trying to think about college too, like college had happened, but I had a, like a lot of like, Cause I went to like a school that um, had a lot of like, it was, it was like a foreign exchange school. So there were a lot of like students. So there were a lot of American students who did like that kind of drunk till I drink till I pass out culture um, or drink till I'm screaming a woman's name on the bank of a river in Japan. Um, oh, well, <laughs> um, I mean, I haven't done that in Japan, but well. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I had a, I had a friend do that, which was an interesting night for sure. Um, oh boy. I was always like the designated, like, let me get you home or let me make sure that you're not like, um, you know, in too bad a shape. Um, sure. but as I mentioned like the drinking culture in England, and I don't know how much you experienced this given, especially given sort of your experience, but like, given that I was there during the semester and there was like drinking stuff going on for like the English students, like there were times during the semester where it would be like Guy Fox or whatever. And mm-hmm. people went nuts. It was crazy. Um, and, uh, you know, it was like, you'd find like students like passed out everywhere you know, vomit on the ground. Like it was a rough sort of, uh, there would be those rough kind of uh, drinking nights. And uh, the bad side is all of those things. The good side is like, you could get that kebab walking home at two in the morning and have that. So, um, you know, there were, there were benefits to doing it or, you know, to being in that culture as well, but. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, So like, I was not completely surprised to see like uh, Simon Pegg's character, like 12 pints in, almost passing out. Um, it was not completely out of the blue, um, just given sort of the English drinking culture that I had, I had seen. Oh, sure. I mean, I, you know, I've definitely gotten more uh, more into drinking the older I get. And I've definitely gotten sadder the older I get. So I've definitely had my, 
couple nights here and there. Uh, what if we made a, a podcast based on that very premise? Oh, I think it's, uh, I think drunk history beat us to it. Oh. It'd just be <laughs> drunk personal history at this point. Nobody we wants just, to yeah. do that. Ther- <laughs> therapy's been effective. I don't dwell on a lot of that. Uh, we pulled the sadness part instead of the drunk part, which <laughs> out of the two, I don't know which <laughs> one is more fun. Doesn't fit to either of our strengths. I mean, I, you know, yeah, I think I alluded to it in our first practice episode. But I mean, I think a core of our friendship has been our openness about like our, you know, when we're sad, we're open about it with one another. And I think that's, uh, you know, I think that was kind of one of the ideas that generated the show is that it just seems, it seems weird to me because I feel like I have that relationship with most of my male friends, but I guess that's not the norm. So I guess I, yeah. one of my goals for this podcast was just sort of like normalize talking about sad stuff with your friends, whether it's personal or, you know, on a, on a holistic level. But uh, that, I know for me, that was one of kind of my aims for this project for us. Hello, ladies. We go to therapy. Yeah, I mean, we're both in long-term relationships. They, they, they're used to it by now. <laughs> Not sure. Um, I know. I meant it as a good sense. Like, in a like. Oh yeah, yeah. We're men who who can 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 go to therapy, and which Simon Pegg's character could have probably used. All well, I guess considered. he was, but I mean, that kind of goes back to the ending, which I found so unsatisfying. Like, he didn't really find any healthy way of dealing with his sadness. It was just the world ends, and now he's like a post-apocalyptic cowboy with four robots that look like his high school friends 20 or 30 years ago. It's kind of like, what am I supposed to take away from this? Like, I just, I mean, I guess there's nothing to necessarily take away, but you know, if that's not what their message was, but it's kind of unsatisfying. It's just like, Oh, the only thing that made this guy happy was being, uh, so belligerent with the aliens that they just rage quitted the planet and now we're in a in a post-apocalyptic world this is like well what am i supposed to make of that like he just ruined it for the rest of us it's not that necessarily should have capitulated to the aliens but it's kind of like what is what am i supposed to make of this it's just kind of well that's that's, yeah i'm still confused by it even talking it out with you there's yeah that brings up two things one is like he's made the decision for humanity that humanity isn't going to be part of this like galactic society. And like 10 years on, I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the aliens could have helped us out from 2013 because it's been a rough decade. Well, um, well, according to this movie, they gave us mobile technology and the internet. So, I mean, they are bad. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say like the, uh, I guess um, the network um, is the character, but mm-hmm. the network says, haven't you noticed that information technology is, you know, surged forward and I have surged in quotation mark in my notes, like, um, has it though? Cause I feel like it's actually like really stagnated and we get these like toys that like improve communication a little bit, but, um, it hasn't really, and this is like, maybe this is that Patreon podcast where we talk about stuff, but it hasn't really like moved. Where's my flying car, I guess is my end like uh question. Like, these toys we play with have have maybe moved forward like iteratively, but like um, you know, it hasn't really our you know basic technology hasn't moved forward that much. I don't think. Like we talk I mean, about you're, AI, you're definitely stuff. more in a position to talk about it than I am. But this reminds me of that article that you and I were sending to each other a couple of weeks ago about kind of the the end of the internet. Because as we're doing this, oh, yeah. uh, we're in the post Twitter world where it's now x uh we're in the post reddit revolution or wherever the fuck that was um you know and so that you know i i think you abandoned reddit entirely i definitely scaled back my usage now that the third party apps are gone and it's not 
nearly as useful as it was. So I think you're right as far as spreading technology. If anything, it seems to be regressing right now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I don't think it's moved forward in the sense that they've wanted or we were promised it would. And now it's even kind of regressed, which I totally agree with. Um, yeah, I absolutely. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's moved forward. But like, who who is Simon Pegg's character say that humanity should not be a part of this? Um, well, I, and- I, I'll say one of the notes that I had about the network is that these aliens inherently suck if they can't stop a group of drunks. <laughs> yeah, not so not so great, are you? Yeah, they're foiled by just some guy who, what at that point i think he probably was 12 pints in at that point so it's kind of like you can't outthink some guy like on a drunk rambling like fuck off then you dumb dumb aliens yeah it's not it doesn't seem like the aliens finest hour for sure no they're terrible they're you know really i mean i feel like i'm being very mean to this movie but it really ultimately when you take a step back it's like well what the fuck were they trying to do like just yeah. str- like streamline the process, but to what end? Like they didn't seem to really get at, at anything out of mechanizing the population. Well, and that's my thing is like, if we're going to like, if you're going to put out a movie, have a message, that message can be good or bad, or you can do a bad job delivering it. But like this one, I don't understand what the message is supposed to be. Um, no. I've been beating Venom like a rented mule, but like at least there was a message there and I understood it. Whereas like for hot or not for hot, not for hot fuzz, but for um for uh World's the world's end. end, like what is the message you want to convey to me? And I, you know, I, I'm not saying like I have to understand everything immediately, but we're like two reasonably smart men, uh, you know, in their early twenties. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, but like we should be able to understand like what this movie is trying to tell us, especially on like repeated viewings and discussion. And I don't get that sense from this movie. Yeah, I mean, there there was really no benefit to reconnecting with old friends. There was no. I mean, I think that's part <laughs> I of it. Talking I mean, about me for a second. I, mean, there, I was like, wait, what? No, I mean, I guess if there is any message, is that nostalgia is sometimes pointless. Which I know I am guilty of, kind of dwelling in this past well, I think more so I think it's kind of a side effect of the pandemic where I feel like I've regressed back to a 13 year old boy because I, uh, I was like oh I'm really into the Miami heat again and I'm <laughs> and and like I'm suddenly kind of more fascinated with Disney culture than I ever was while living in Florida so it's kind of like it was some regression in those regards but at the same time I feel like you can appreciate the past but just not get caught up in it which you know I guess maybe that's part of it but there really was no kind of realization on any of the characters part especially the gary king part that's like oh i can't just keep living here like if anything it's just like i can keep living here yeah it was it was so so weird oh that was the other point that i i wanted to bring up like is that something like this the these three movies have this theme of like society sort of falling away and then there being this sort of violent sort of um undercurrent to it um is that something we all crave like uh, maybe we don't crave it to this extent that we live in a dystopia where, um, you know, some people are not allowed in bars and we fight to, uh, I guess, equalize or or bring them into like a, um, you know, a society that is more equal. But, um, you know, we we do video games, we do paintball, not us in specific, but like mm-hmm. humanity in general. Um, we even watch movies like this. And is that something that we secretly sort of hunger for? in our sort of basal hominid sort of brain that like um, fighting for survival, um, kind of testing our own limits, things like that. Um, 
you know, and so I don't have an answer for that. I'm just, it feels like this movie is uh, maybe to some degree, not specifically, but like in terms of like it existing, like, is that something that, it, you know, we as human beings sort of crave or need? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because the other night, my significant other and I were just falling down a YouTube hole. And mm. at one point, the algorithm showed, uh, it was like a 12 minute long video of uh, action one liners. So, <laughs> which I, I'm a sucker for like 1980s Schwarzenegger films are like one of my favorite subgenre films. Like Your Commando. luggage has been delivered. Yeah, like Commando, which I don't yeah. know if you've ever watched, but... I fucking love that movie. I don't think that necessarily qualifies as a sad man movie, but oh my God, it's so over the top that it it's technically an action film, but it's so ridiculous that it transcends into comedy, which I think is what they were trying to do with this. And I think that is yeah. one of Edgar Wright's strong suits, like especially in Hot Fuzz. I mean, more maybe more so in Shaun's Dead, but those two, in then even Scott Pilgrim and maybe to a degree baby driver it's not yes. violence as much as it's action with a car mm-hmm. but i mean i think he definitely his strong suit is a combination of comedy and action and i think that was part of it mm-hmm. part of the intention with this it just didn't land because it wasn't i guess so more of the humor is supposed to come from the fact that when they fought these robot things that like they had to rip their heads off and blue goo would shoot out which you know nothing about it was was too graphic or, or at the same time very funny but mm-hmm. going back to that YouTube video I watched, you know, it was just all these, you know, people getting killed and action heroes having some sort of zinger following it. And my significant other, at, she said something was like, why do people like this? Like, it's so violent. And I was like, oh, it's kind of funny. And she gave me this look like, you think this is funny? But I'm like, well, yeah, it's, it's so heightened that... A man has died. It's How beyond... But it, it transcends reality. But yeah. at the same time, there have been moments like... I think when I went to see John Wick 4, and I think at one point during, while well, sitting there in the theater, I was thinking to myself, I don't know if I can really enjoy this, because I think it was after one of the countless mass shootings that's gone on. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's because, I don't know, I guess sometimes the John Wick it, it is so over the top, just the sheer body count, mm-hmm. but it's not like... Arnold Schwarzenegger throwing a lawnmower blade and scalping some Sandinista's head off. Like it mm. was, it, it's kind of two different ballgame. Yeah. So I don't know, but <laughs> the Schwarzenegger I mean, movies have the the premise at least where he's speaking in this very strong Austrian accent and he's like, I'm from Boise. Well, it's all, well I think in Commando, he, he's Dutch. Like okay. his, na- his name is not, he, I don't think he's from Denmark. Or Netherlands. Well, you already lose that, like, or not lose, but you already buy into that, like, suspension. There's, like, an inherent absurdity about it. He's always some sort of American uh, armed force individual, but he speaks with this thick Austrian accent. So there's inherently a a disconnect or, like, some separation from reality. Yeah. Well, I've experienced the same thing with video games, like... Um, you look at like Uncharted and you look at the body count for a game like that. And at some point you have to think about, um, well, I'm playing this white guy going to a lot of like, um, you know, kind of developing countries and shooting like a hundred brown dudes, uh, you know, and so what is the point of this? What is the message? What is the sort of political and, you know, everything, you know, we live in a, a time where thankfully everything is political or most people at least like consider, you know, 
are enlightened enough to think that even a, a, a non-political political mm-hmm. and like what are you sort of saying and what is my own like uh appetite for something like that and i i do think um you know i don't have the appetite that i did for it uh even to some degree if you're playing up the absurdity which i think john wick i think is the sort of saving grace of that series i, I haven't seen four yet but like um you know there's so much like this weird sort of lore about the assassin skills and stuff like that mm-hmm. that you can buy into the absurdity of it um, yeah i mean the fact that they rely so heavily on latins kind of like all oh, right this yeah. isn't realistic at all yeah um i had a couple of other questions for you you mentioned the blue blood and i i thought one the one thing the movie did do really well subtly was uh tying the the aliens the robots to blood or uh or to blue rather um so you see it for the blood the phone they have to trevor uh one of the characters when he gets like um, sort of, uh, the aliens are mad at him. Um, the twins are wearing blue, um, mm-hmm. banners up. Like they do a good job of like tying blue. Um, and you know, this is something I get from like watching late period Kurosawa, just like noticing, <laughs> trying to notice the colors and, you know, see if they're tied to things. See, um, I just so thought was, it was a, I thought it was Eiffel 65 product. Like, <laughs> well, that too. Um, that should have been in the, I think that might have like pulled the, the subtlety towards, uh, unsettled but i did want to ask about the special effects especially since we came off watching venom which is you know a decade almost a decade more uh, a decade forward in terms of special effects but there were so many practical effects in or it seemed practical in uh this movie that it seems so much better than venom like i'm just like cg does not age very well um and even you know to the extent there is CG in this movie, which I think especially towards the end there was, mm-hmm. it doesn't hold up as well as that first fight scene where they're popping heads and legs and arms off uh, mm-hmm. or, uh, off like those, uh, you know, teens. Well, you're going back to that interview that I mentioned earlier. That was mm-hmm. the second part. Like, I think the first half of the interview was kind of about the political aspect of it. And then the second half of it was the practical aspect of it. And if you're right, you know, he's of the same mind. I think you, me and him are all on the same page. I think most film fans are that yeah. practical is always superior to the cgi because the cgi inevitably looks dated like it, yeah. there's just no i'm sure there are instances where it holds up but i feel like yeah. for the most part on the whole cgi automatically dates the film yeah and i think he named you know name dropped the kind of the quintessential practical effects that john carpenter's the thing mm-hmm. where that's older than we are yeah. And holy shit, it still looks amazing. It's still one of the things you watch it. It's all yeah. practical. It's like, that looks real. How do they do that? Yeah. And I do find that frustrating. I, I think there's maybe more of a move towards it back towards horror. I'd have no anecdotal evidence to support that aside from just what I've been seeing. But well, it, I think it, as people of our generation move back, like you look at the original Star Wars trilogy, which was mostly practical. You look at the prequel trilogy, which is mostly CGI and, and looks it. And then you look back at the sequel trilogy, which, um, you know, I'm sad that there's only two movies in that trilogy, but, <laughs> uh, um, you know, people like whatever you want to say about Ryan Johnson, who I actually, I think is a great uh, director. And then whatever you want to say about J.J. Uh, Abrams, um, who uh, I think exists, um, <laughs> you know, they both like are trying to like, you know, make a, a point of saying, like, I want to have practical effects in in contrast to the prequel movies and and kind of go back to what star wars was so i think mm-hmm. there is like this you know as people of our generation slowly uh as the boomers slowly die off and we get into like uh not us but people of actual talent and and mm-hmm. uh luck uh get into you know places of authority like we, we are yet yeah, we are seeing this kind of move back to practical yeah i mean especially 
with all the stories that come about CGI, the graphical artists being like borderline slave labor. I mean, that may be yeah. too harsh or, you know, minimalizing actual slave labor, but like the working conditions that those yeah. artists have to go through, it sounds cruel. And yeah. it's, to, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of, you know, potential abuse on these people. And yeah, no one's really happy with it. It's kind of like, why keep doing this? Like, I think the, I was going to say the, the gold standard, but that's definitely not what I mean. But I mean, quantum mania. Yeah. It looked like trash. It was just, yeah. I guess it was that the that the CGI studio thing, like uh, filming in the round, like they did for Mandalorian, which that looks yeah. fine most of the time. But Ant Man just looked bad. Like in Ant Man looked bad. Like I, I didn't have like a major problem with She Hulk as a show, but I think She Hulk herself, as as kind of the character, looked like not great. Like there's a lot of not great. Uh, uh, see, I, I, my I guess my eye for the the she-hulk wasn't refined enough because i i know people thought it looked wonky but it i i didn't see it but maybe that's just my yeah. lack of attention detail i mean i i've seen worse i think the yeah. cgi and miss marvel was worse especially towards the end but um yeah like i i do think you know there is like this it's easy to do but then you know easy to do in the sense of like you just put a lot of animators on it and then it gets done but you it, they seem to be worked terribly and then I was going to say, like, imagine being the people who did CGI Sonic um, the first time and then having to go back under, you know, crunch conditions, at least, I, you know, if we want to, like, move the term away from, like, slave labor conditions. But, like, sure. uh, yeah, crunch I mean, conditions, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I get I think people get what you're saying. Um, and then having to redo Sonic and then getting fired after re- having redone Sonic, um, it, it does not seem like, a, you know, I, as a designer now, like, have thought about trying to get into like 3D animation or or uh, 3D sort of um, art, and I just I, I feel like while the the market is good, I don't feel like it's a good sort of place to be in terms of um, having Work a life job. Balance. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, going off the practical effects, this is a, another question that I had: mm-hmm. Is Pierce Brosnan a robot in real He's a life? Handsome if, man, like he <laughs> obviously he definitely is in the film, but in real life, like is that man a robot? Because he does not seem to age at all. No, he doesn't. Um, he and Paul Rudd just came off the assembly line somehow. Um, he's a good-looking gentleman, and um, uh, he he's got to be a robot, right? Like <laughs> either that, or there's some portrait of him in a in a attic somewhere, just you know, aging terribly. But um, he's a good-looking gentleman, and and you know, he's got a very short screen time in this movie, but he he makes the most of it for sure. Yeah, I definitely felt like I would have liked more of him. I yeah. also would have liked more Roseman Pike, but that yes, you know, that goes back <laughs> to like my, boom. My, my, um, my Michelle Williams discussion last week. So I won't sound like some horn dog again this time. I thought she was very cute, and she had like a lot more to do um, in terms of character, not just in terms of looks, but like her character was, um, you know, I thought was had a lot more uh, to do than um, than Eddie Brock's girlfriend in Venom. Oh uh, sure, I mean, yeah. she's. I mean, it, it's like michelle williams where they're both so talented that they're gonna raise whatever the character is on the page yeah. um and then my first note in my notes is oh crumb which is you know possibly my favorite line for the movie so <laughs> um yeah i wish they had more to do and um i had been reading tv tropes um i'd gotten sucked into the into the black hole that is tv tropes.com org i think it's org um and they have a trope called the smurfette where it's like 
everyone else is male and there's one female character. And like, this mm-hmm. definitely sort of fit that bill, even though, um, again, coming off Venom, it felt like she had a lot more to do than uh, that female character. But, um, you know, it did feel like she was a smurfette in this, in this like boys comedy of, you know, here's five male friends and then uh, one of their sisters is also along for the ride. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was supposed to be a source of conflict in the fact that it is one of their sisters. Yeah. One of them hooked up with her when they were in high school. One of them has been longing for her for decades. Yeah. But it really was not vital to the overall story at all. It, I mean, no. I feel like that's such a, as someone who did make the mistake of, of dating a friend's sister and luckily avoided conflict for the most part. Uh you know, it it can be a very... He did turn diff- out to be a robot, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why it's okay. <laughs> but, I mean, it's definitely, you know, those are tough waters to navigate, which I yeah. feel like, I mean, maybe that would have made it more of a dramatic film, yeah. which obviously is not what they wanted. But that, it almost seemed kind of thrown in as far as, a, as far as a complication, but yeah, but not really. Yeah. Like, it was, it was just kind of like a nothing burger. Yeah. Well, and the, the last thing I, the major, last major thing I had for the movie was, I wanted to ask you how you felt about the soundtrack. You know, I like to think I'm a pretty, you know, someone who was not either alive or was not cognizant of the world during the time of this, like, music time frame. Mm-hmm. None of the songs necessarily resonated with me, but I do typically like British New Wave. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as Edgar Wright soundtracks in a film, this was probably my least favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I like. I didn't recognize most of the music. I mean, um, we just want to be free to take care of the title of that one. Like, I of course, like that one's so famous that everyone knows it. But mm-hmm. the rest of the soundtrack, like, I didn't. This was like, I guess, mostly early '90s sort of music. So I wasn't mm-hmm. like sort of cognizant of the world of like you know new wave or or sort of uh, alt rock, alt pop. I will say I had some knowledge of it. I have an older sister who was more tuned Mm. in at the time. So like I was definitely aware of Nirvana at a time, at an age of where I probably probably should not have been. But (laughs) uh, as far as the British kind of oeuvre film, uh, musical oeuvre at the time, I'm not, you know, I never really, it's not an era I've ever really dabbled in. Yeah. I mean, I liked it for what it was um, having not known the music. And I thought, um, I mean, they, I think they tried to dunk on Sisters of Mercy during the movie, but that uh, song at the end, Corrosion, during the end credits, I thought was actually pretty good. I thought it was, I actually thought it was David Bowie for at first. Um, and I was like, what's this David Bowie song? I don't know. Oh, yeah, um, what, was that the song? That, uh, how does that song go? Uh, I don't know how it goes. I just have a note saying that I like Because there was one end. song that I associated with being a David Bowie song. So I, I meant to look up whether he originated or if he had covered it. But now I can't remember what song during the movie it was uh i I thought it was his vocals and so um i was surprised when i looked it up and usually i'm pretty good about you know uh figuring out bowie's uh vocals both dog and man Mm -hmm. um and uh but this one was uh sisters of mercy and i was you know very surprised but i thought it was a pretty good song so no i I gotta say not the music did not impact me or Mm -hmm. resonate with me as much as other edgar wright films yeah well i i you know something that i look up the movies before if i've seen them before um i look them up before uh watching them and try to like get some notes or think about like um you know have things in my back pocket that i can like focus on was i as i watch the movie um this one i had to stop midway because i was like i you know i realized i did not remember a thing about this film mm-hmm. um but i did read a note that someone had like liked the soundtrack uh and so um 
you know, as I went through it, I was able to kind of focus on that as I was watching and, and it, I thought it was a good soundtrack. Oh, like overall, I wasn't thinking about comparing it to the other Edgar. Mm-hmm. That was my last kind of uh, point or thought on it. Um, anything else that you, that you wanted to bring up? Well, I, I think I have one question, which mm-hmm. this may end up kind of being our closing question going forward. I'm not, you know, you and I will have to talk about that off mic. Yeah. But I think this is a, probably a good closing. You're not invited, listener. Yeah, fuck off. Uh, I think a good closing question, I think, going forward is kind of like a holistic view. You know, since this is ostensibly a movie about sad men in movie, mm-hmm. what can we learn from this sad man, Gary King? It's such a hard question because um, what maybe, did he learn? Well, and maybe, I don't think let, he let, me refi- let me refine the question a little bit. Yeah. What can we learn from this sad man to make our lives less sad? Yeah, um, good question. I do think the bulk of the movie um, is Gary learning that he can't look back in nostalgia. And I think we've both, or we've all, um, you know, including the listener in this, had moments where we thought about like, what if we didn't do X thing? Or what if we did do Y thing? Uh, Would my life be completely different? And I know, um, you know, I've had a tendency to wallow in that. Um, And I think you see it with Gary and Sam in this movie. Um, and, you know, Gary continually trying to, like, reignite, um, like, essentially what is a teenage one-night stand um, and that not working and and Sam having a better kind of sense uh, or better head on her shoulders to, like, uh, fall for that. Um, so I think living in the past, for the most part, uh, does not work out for Gary um, until the end of the movie and questioning your decisions that you can't go back and change. Um, you know, for me, that was, like, kind of the overriding to the extent there was a message that wasn't undermined or that was undermined by the ending. But like, um, yeah, I just think you can't keep looking back to the past because there's nothing you can do to change it. You can use it to sort of change your decision, decision-making in the present, but um, you know, you can't just wallow in, in what happened before. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'll say this. My dog seems to be dreaming in the background behind me. So if anyone hears uh, whimpering noises, she's just having a dream. It's not of just some us. Sort. It's not just us. But I'll say, I think the main takeaway that I can take from this sad man in the world's end is that you can't necessarily reignite former friendships. And I know that's something I think about a lot. I, you know, it's you and I, we've known each other. We've been friends about, I think, a little over 20 years now. Mm-hmm. But we had a couple of years where we hadn't, we hadn't been in much contact and we reconnected a few years ago. And it just so happens that you and I are in a place in our lives where I think it was a good thing where I think we, you and I have started to kind of rely on one another for certain emotional aspects. And I think about that and I'm really glad that that worked out. But I know during the pandemic, there are other people I reached out to who I hadn't heard from in a long time. And I was just like, oh yeah, good to hear from you. Hope you're well, bye. And there are other people who I haven't heard from from years who I would like to theoretically reconnect with, but at the same time, I have to sort of accept the fact that people do change and that just because I was friends with someone 30 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever the date range is, it's that friendships are like any other sort of relationship. You know, not, not every person you date is going to be the person you stay with forever. And I think that's something that a lot of people have to kind of consider for friendships as well. I think I know maybe I'm just kind of repeating myself, repeating advice that I've given others over the years, because I've had some people, friends who stay friends with people, regardless of how they treat them, or 
how good of a person they are and you know everything has uh everything has an expiration and i feel like that's sort of an unintended message here is that you can't necessarily reignite a friendship if it's dead and for the most part between the five main guys in this film like they they weren't friends anymore and ultimately you know maybe it's too heavy-handed to say that the world ends because they try and force a friendship that's no longer there so i would say if anyone's listening to this obviously we're not therapists but if you're kind of interested in the topic of sadness like i am just on a you know not on even a personal level just on like a, the fact that it exists at a human emotional level i think it's okay to accept the fact that you can't stay friends with everyone forever and yeah. you know sometimes it sucks but you just like you said you can't dwell on the past forever you just kind of have to move on and there will be new people you can be friends with yeah well actually i had a note in uh my notes saying that um growing up can mean like growing apart like it doesn't um i think media society kind of expects you to be friends with everyone all the time um once you become friends and that is not necessarily the case and um i think if we wanted to like think about the end of the movie um you know, uh, Nick Frost character, um, the other dude whose name I've now completely forgotten. Um, they just could not be with, uh, you know, Gary could grow up. Simon Pegg's character could grow up, but he can't change completely who he is. So Nick Frost and the other guy can't be friends with him anymore. Uh, but Simon Pegg can find the friendships, um, not in the adult men that he had grown up with, but with their um, sort of their blanks and, you know, can use that as a way to, um, you know, not necessarily have to be friends, you know, uh, with those other men anymore in like a um, everyday reliance kind of way. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I'm just reminded of the fact that we glossed over one of the most terrible aspects of this character or of the story is that the Simon Pegg character uh, eventually gets the Nick Frost character who had been sober for what over a decade to start drinking yeah. again. So it's yeah. kind of like I just kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier that this guy's sort of a shitty dude, but uh, yeah, you know, um, fuck, fuck him, fuck this movie, I guess. Oh, wow, <laughs> uh, I didn't feel that that badly about it. Um, I was gonna say some things to cheer us up. I kind of wish I had Build the Bear body parts, like it really, uh, you know, I don't know if it's like uh, seeing. Uh, spoiler alert for uh, Secret Invasion, the MCU TV show. Uh, Amelia Clark having Drax's weird weirdo arm, but like, oh god, um, <laughs> having that, uh, um, those build a bear body parts um, for the the aliens seem pretty cool. Um, yeah, that was my my kind of final takeaway. Oh, just give me a cute sailor's outfit, and I'm good to go. <laughs> uh, on that note, this has been um, well. That that was the world's end, and this is the podcast end nice. for this time uh thank you for listening um tell your friends um evidently we'll probably have social media at some point yeah, maybe if will we though? you know it, eh, maybe not it didn't work out for our other attempt uh maybe yeah maybe once we start having listeners we can like open a uh my page account or maybe or we'll have socials eventually i'll make a gmail account you know yeah. i'll put i'll put a stinger at the end if we have them but for Someday. now I'm Tom. I'm Rudy. And this is Cheer this Up, the buddy. Network. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Boop, 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 boop. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye.